Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and we're just going east of where we are now to talk to Ross uh, St. Croix. He's the GM and COO of the Ability Center. I wonder if he's going to be president. That's uh, kind of up in the air right now. So having said that, Ross, where did you go to school? Um, hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on. I, um, I did my undergrad at McGill University in Montreal uh, in kinesiology. And, uh, and then I, uh, I went from there to do my, uh, my postgraduate work at University of Ottawa in sports management. Ah, okay, so how about your work experience? You didn't just start at the Ability Center. <laughs> no, I did not. It's, it's been an interesting path. So coming out of my uh, master's degree, I, I got right into the, the sport world, particularly um, on the administrative side. Um, I worked for a couple of different national sport organizations. So I started off with uh, Water Ski and Wakeboard Canada, um, had a, a brief stint there, and then um, spent a number of years working for the Canadian Lacrosse Association, which is now Lacrosse Canada. And uh, those, uh, those jobs were in Ottawa, but then uh, my draw to working in accessibility and working with individuals with disabilities brought me to the Toronto area, uh, where I started working with Special Olympics Canada in 2013. And uh, from there, um, you know, bounced around a little bit, wanted to get some experience outside of just um, the national sport world. So I spent a year with the provincial government uh, working for their ministry, uh, which was called at the time the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and Sport. Um, that acronym has gotten much longer in, in the meantime, as many of them tend to do. Um, but, uh, but from there, I, I went to spend a bit of time at the provincial level in my first leadership role with Athletics Ontario, um, where I served as their executive director for about a year. And, uh, and then the most unique stop on my journey before Ability Center was at a place called Windreach Farm. So I was the executive director there for four years um, through the, the majority of the pandemic as well, which made it extra interesting. Um, but, uh, but it was a facility that used um, the natural farm environment to provide programs with, for people with disabilities. Um, kind of a unique take um, and a departure from sport for me, um, but still in that accessibility disability realm. So um, those, were, uh, those were all the stops along the journey, some obvious, some much less so, but, uh, but now I've been at Ability Center um, for about a year now. Okay. And you moved in at a fairly senior level in the organization. I sure did. So, so what, I'm the. What do you do the, in that role? Well, you know, Peter, I uh, I often joke to people that my job is to uh, to keep up with the CEO and and all of the the crazy wonderful ideas that come out of that office. Um, you know, the Ability Center is very much about solving problems um, in accessibility, um, whatever they happen to be. So we we try to keep our our mandate pretty broad to make sure that we're not limiting ourselves uh, in our approach. And, um, but behind that, that visionary leader, you need somebody that can operationalize 
the ideas and, and make sure that we take some of those those uh, dreams and so those visions and and make sure that we have the the people and the resources and, and all of those things um, to support that. So so my job is primarily as the the senior staff ensuring that on on the ground we have everything that we need uh, to keep operating and, and expand as uh, as the vision expands. Okay, for many of us who don't know, what is the Ability Center? So the Ability Center um, started back in 2012. So we're, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. And, uh, and it came to be uh, to fill a void in the Durham region, which was that there wasn't a, an athletic facility that catered to individuals with disabilities. And uh, so the, the finance minister, uh, the federal finance minister at the time, Jim Flaherty, um, and his wife, uh, Christine Elliott, former uh, deputy premier, um, they had a son with a disability. And, and so they, they very much dedicated themselves to, to figuring out a solution um, to that problem and that void. And that, that's how the Ability Center came to be. Now, in the past 10 years, we've, we've evolved from simply a, a physical fitness facility that was accessible to everyone to uh, an organization that is, you know, uh, moving beyond the borders of those four walls. We, we have programs running in other areas of the province, other areas of the country, um, and, and we're very much focused on targeted programs to particular demographics, particular groups um, of disabilities to make sure that, you know, there are programs for individuals coming out of schools. There are programs for individuals with disabilities to get into the employment market. Um, so we really broadened our reach and, and really, if we had to narrow it down, I'd say um, we look for for the gaps in communities in terms of accessibility, um, and we worked with the individuals with the lived experience with the disabilities um, to to fill that void and, and whatever that is, whether it's a sport program, an employment program, what have you. So, what moved you towards the disability area? Was there some particular incident or? You know, it's uh, it's just kind of random chance got me there, um, and then you know, just the the rewarding nature of the work is what's kept me here. So, um, coming out of my my master's degree, my first job was at Water Ski and Wakeboard Canada, and, and I got a taste there of working in disability. So they they put me on the portfolio working um, with adapted water skiing, and uh, and it really opened my eyes because you know I was guilty much like. Uh, many other people that, you know, are, are fortunate to, to not be born with a disability and that, you know, I had certain views of what was and was not um, possible. And uh, certainly, if you had asked me before that job, if, if I thought water skiing was a sport that could be adapted to people with disabilities, I naively would have said no. And so, so that really opened my eyes and, and it gave me a passion and realizing that, you know, what my view had been before and, and the view of a lot of people within my network and much beyond um, was quite limiting and that that conversation needed to change. And that, that really filled me with a sense of purpose that to me is really important to keep me motivated in my work. So as much as I've, I've departed from the, the accessibility realm a couple of times to, to get some other experience, but I find myself always getting drawn back in because that really is what I'm passionate about is, is making sure that we make our communities more accessible for everyone. So you made an interesting comment a, a minute ago that your programs have reached out into the province and into the country. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, uh, 
we're trying to not limit ourselves now to, to just Durham region as, as much as Durham region has, has welcomed and embraced us. You know, we, we see a fit for our programs in other communities. So just in the past couple of months, um, we've actually gone even beyond the borders of Ontario and started a uh, school sport academy program in the Northwest Territories, uh, which is the first of its kind up there. And, uh, and we've also gone out to Newfoundland to, uh, to engage in a partnership um, with Memorial University uh, for some of our programs. They're looking at our, our mixed ability sport program and uh, some of our physical literacy initiatives. So really what, what our, our mindset is now is, as we've kind of filled up the, the center that we have is that our programs work in any facility in any community as long as we have the right people and the right resources there. Um, so we're, we're very much focused on building partnerships so that we can expand our reach. And, and yeah, that's, that's started to reach outside of Ontario and, and to other communities uh, in Ontario, such as, as London. And, uh, and we're looking at, at Guelph and a few others right now as well. So that leads me into a similar type question. Partnerships and funding. You got a staff there. How do you pay for them? And talk about the importance of partnerships. The importance of partnerships is huge for us. I mean, as as a charity, um, you know, finances is is always a challenge. You never want it to be your your sole focus because you're there for the mission. But you know, the reality is is that you can't do the work um, that you that you want to do and that you're passionate about without the money to pay for it, right? And uh, and given the population we serve, we really try to not just charge those fees back in terms of program fees, right? A lot of these individuals don't have the funds available to them. Um, so to your point, we uh, we approach our, our revenue streams um, in a diverse way, right? It's, it's important that we're not dependent on, on one sole area. Uh, so we are very fortunate in that we get government funding at the provincial level. And, uh, and that certainly allows us to do a lot more in terms of the scope um, that we would be able to do without that. But we are cognizant that, you know, governments change and priorities change and, and funding gets shifted, particular, <laughs> no one ever thought we'd have a pandemic, I'm sure, right? So we need to be uh, nimble and, and flexible. So the partnerships with uh, corporations and, uh, you know, in the community and across the country that really value accessibility and, and sport and, and innovation are really important to us. So a couple of uh, a couple of partners that are really key for us. One being Canadian Tire Jumpstart. Um, so obviously their mandate is very much around accessible um, play, safe play um, for kids around the country, and and they've really sort of come out of the woodwork over the past ten years and, and really sort of taken over that conversation and certainly have a lot of funds available. Um, so they're a valuable partner for us um, on a lot of our sport programs. Um, but then there's also um, you know community. Uh, organizations that uh, really value where where they where they live and where their employees live. So organizations like Ontario Power Generation have have always stepped up to the plate annually to to help us out at least in a small way. Um, so you know those those partnerships close to home and and a little bit across the country are are really key because they they allow us to keep those those program fees down and give us a bit more stability um, so that not we're not solely dependent on on government revenues and other public funding. So, Ross, do you have an operational board or a governance board? We, uh, thankfully, as uh, as the chief operating officer, I can thankfully say we have a very governance-focused board. So, 
Um, our board are they're pretty terrific at at staying at the level that they're supposed to be, um, which is you know their their mandate of making sure that you know that their fiduciary responsibilities are covered off in terms of making sure that we're making you know responsible financial decisions and that you know the integrity of the brand is upheld and and those pieces, but. Um, they very much let us uh, do the work um, on an operational level, which which works really well for us because we are we are sort of a forward thinking organization. We like to to take a, a few chances, calculated chances, but um, you know you can't have change um, without you know trying to change the conversation and forcing the issue sometimes. So they give us a lot of flexibility to uh, to make the decisions that have allowed us to grow over the last ten years. So very thankful for that. Now, having said that, and I know this is an awkward question because you're in transition to a new president, but as the COO, where do you see the organization in three years? Well, you know, we uh, we have a lot of opportunities ahead of us. And, you know, one of the things while I, while I you know, have mentioned a couple of times that we're very much focused on, you know, not saying no um, and trying to fill voids in various communities. Um, one of the things I have done in the year that I've been here is is challenge the team to to focus within that. Right? Is you know, while while we want to solve all the problems, we need to be cognizant that we don't take on too much. And so we've just finished our strategic plan um, to really dial into the areas we want to focus on. So one of those areas is mixed ability sport is a really big movement for us. Um, so very quickly, mixed ability sport is, is bringing together individuals of all abilities to play on the same team. So it's a departure from your traditional Paralympic or Special Olympic approach where you, uh, you know, excellent, excellent approaches, excellent parts of the sport system, but very much segregated to particular elements of the population. What we're trying to do is create on, on the sport field a replication of what we'd like to see in communities, which is everybody participating alongside each other helping each other as needed, communicating with each other about what they need so that they can participate actively and in a meaningful way. So we, uh, we're we very much pushing the, the growth of that movement across the country. So that'll be a big priority over the next few years. And uh, and another area that we really intend to, to grow our impact quite a bit is in the employment um, sector. So um, you know, we have the the unique ability. There are certainly other great organizations out there that assist individuals with disabilities to to get into employment. Um, but we take the holistic approach of um, bringing individuals into some of our programs, getting to know them, getting to know um, what their needs and desires are, which often is a, a step that gets skipped. Um, you know, as society has tended to to make decisions for people with disabilities in the past, and we're trying to make them with them. Um, so we provide some training, um, but we also go out into the community and we educate organizations, municipalities, school boards about what it means to, to truly be accessible in their, in their business, which isn't just putting a, a wheelchair ramp into your building. It's, it's making sure that, you know, your job postings are, are being seen by people with disabilities and they're not pushing them away or making them feel unwelcome. It's, it's your policies and your, your culture. So um, we have an initiative called LEAD. Um, where we go out and we do a, a full-on organizational audit with these organizations. Um, so we're simultaneously trying to prepare individuals for the workforce, but also prepare the workforce for the reality of hiring people with disabilities. So I'd say those are the two areas you can really expect to see more of a, a footprint from us and, and to see our name in, in those conversations over the next few years. 
Well, our research has shown that uh, 22% of Canadians have a disability. And uh, when you take into account family and friends, that number goes up to 54%. And another interesting article that was in the local paper about Amazon showed that 30% of their employees have a disability, but only 3.7% have acknowledged the disability to their management, which is really <laughs> interesting. So having said that, one of the things we found that employers, whether it's government or corporations or nonprofits or charities, may or may not have a disability policy. But then when you try to dig down as to who's accountable and responsible, it's almost impossible. I don't know whether you've had that experience. It's, uh, it's very common. And, you know, we, we see it as well in the DEI space is that, you know, um, a lot of organizations, whoa, they... Whoa, they, whoa. they whoa. <laughs> DEI. Sorry, that diversity, equity, and inclusion. So um, we see a similar approach in that, you know, people see societal issues that they want to address and, and embrace in their corporate culture, but um, they only scratch the surface, to your point, right, is that they put out a policy and, and almost like a lot of organizations work on a strategic plan, put it on the shelf, and then, you know, depart from that. So um, you're very right in that, you know, there's a lot more work to be done. I think people have a better awareness um, of what's out there and, and the issues they need to be cognizant of. But in terms of the ongoing day-to-day -day execution of, of what that looks like in their workplace and, and how to create that culture where people don't feel the stigma um, and they do feel, I mean, like that stat you shared, that's a huge, that's a 30% difference between people um, that have a disability and those that are disclosing it, right? And and I think, you know, in, in a lot of industries, that might be even more dramatic, you know, somewhere like a, a police force, and we're talking about mental health or anything along those lines, is that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of opening up the conversation and, and making sure that people feel like they can disclose what's going on um, and have that conversation without the threat of not being offered a job or not being offered a promotion, right? So, Ross, not to put you on the spot, what is the disability policy at the Ability Center? So we very much, um, we have a, I'd say, I'm, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's somewhere between 30 and 35% right now of our staff um, identify as having a disability. And, uh, you know, obviously it's ingrained into everything that we do. Um, so rather than have one policy, we build it into absolutely every element um, of our business because we were we were started um, for the sake of accessibility, right? So every every decision we make, every project that we undertake, um, one of the very first questions is, you know, is this process accessible? Is this document we're putting out into the community to get feedback on accessible? Who do we need to engage in this process before we get so far down the line um, that this is meant to serve? Right. So, um, you know, the uh, having the in-house expertise um, in terms of individuals with with disabilities, it's not just, you know, hiring them because it's the right thing to do. 
Um, it's hiring from a business sense because, I mean, these are our experts, right? I mean, if you're in the automotive industry, you need engineers. If you're, you know, in whatever other industry, you need particular experts. Our experts are individuals with disabilities. Um, and so it's it's so critical that we engage them at every level. We have a we have a, a council of individuals that advise us on on some of our higher higher level pieces and, and keep us accountable. And they're all not staff, um, sort of almost like a not a board per se, but a committee that that keeps us accountable on that piece to to make sure that we don't ever stray too far from that. But but yeah, I mean the answer to that is in lieu of a policy, it's just standard, and, and we all have a culture of calling each other on it if we feel we're we're straying from it in in a meeting or in a in a project discussion. So if a community such as Sudbury wanted to take on a disability approach, what would be the steps to get involved in that with your help? So our, our recommendation would be that, that we engage with them through our, our lead program that I mentioned earlier, the, the audit process, because what we can do is uh, come in and, and meet with whether it's whether it's a municipality, a, a corporation, whoever it is. We come in and sit down with them and, and first say, you know, who are who are the key decision makers in your organization, and then what are all the other layers of your organization? Because what what we want in that process is is a cross section of an organization, right? Because everybody has a, a different perspective at, at the different levels, um, but certainly critical to have decision makers in the room because we often find that you know, you engage with an organization and you don't have someone senior enough at the table hearing from their frontline staff, hearing from their middle managers um, what the issues are, and then they go back and they don't have the power uh, to convince the decision makers uh, to move forward, right? So that's how the process begins. And then it becomes a, a two-day um, workshop where we coax um, the feedback out of the individual. So it really is a self-reflection and a self-evaluation of the organization guided by our facilitators um, that are experienced in all the different elements um, of a company and whether it's the culture, the built environment, the policies, et cetera. Um, so we walked them through that, but then the the final piece that's, that's really key um, to the point I made earlier that people go through exercises and then quickly forget about them. Uh, we provide the ongoing support for the next 12, 18 months to check in and say, you know, how are things going? What are your obstacles? Often it's, often it's cost, um, but sometimes it's it's selling it to uh, to the rest of the organization. So we continue to provide some support to set people up for success in making that change. But that is uh, that is the first thing that we recommend because changing the mindset lays the foundation for for the other pieces that are are more practical and on the ground. Okay, the next the last topic. I want to talk sports? All right, my uh, favorite. Because uh, I was an official at the Parapan Games at York University a few years ago. And it was terrific to see the athletes, what they were doing and how well they were doing. I was also an official at uh, um, the Ontario Games Special Olympics. And uh, I had a lot of fun there as well because I have a couple of disabilities myself. And that makes it you know, more important that I, I be aware of it. There was a U.S. football team in the States that won their state championship. And all the players and the coach are deaf. <laughs> and then there's a guy in Toronto who I did an interview with. And they play hockey. And they have 
men's, women's, and youth teams, and they go provincial, national, and international, and they're visually impaired or blind. And of course, everybody asks me, how do they play hockey? And then the, the key thing is, how do they know where another player is so they don't bump in or knock them down? Right. So, I mean, it's amazing the stories that people can. I interviewed a lady from RBC who uh, is in their uh, human resources area, a senior manager. And she's on a ventilator. She's in a wheelchair. She has a service dog. And she plays power hockey for Team Canada. So I think it's a situation where we have to get those messages out that those people are amazing what they can do. They're not, they're not different from able-bodied. Absolutely. I mean, we're really only limited by what we believe that we can accomplish, right? Well, the other one that was really interesting, I just finished one with a lady in Edmonton. This is not a sports one, but it's an interesting story. Uh, daughter has cerebral palsy. So the parents said, why don't we start a modeling agency? So they now have 50 people in their modeling agency. And they uh, do photo shoots and brand names for various organizations, et cetera, et cetera. So sports and culture can all play a difference in disabled people. Absolutely. And, you know, they almost have an obligation to, given the influence that, you know, pop culture and, and sport have over over society, right? Everybody, to some degree, consumes these things. And, you know, to be able to to see, um, you know, the, the change um, and the, the change in attitudes in, in certain areas like that, that's what gets people thinking differently, right? And, and you know, the, the creativity and the innovation comes out. So, um, you know, the more of these, you, we see more and more, it, it's, it's slowly, I think, gaining some momentum in terms of exposure, um, but uh, certainly a lot of work left to do. But yeah, it's, it's, we can't have too many of those stories because that's really what, uh, what pushes people to, to be creative and hopefully the next generation. I have a two-year-old son at home and I very much want him to grow up in a society where accessibility is just a given. Right. I mean, that's kind of my my own selfish dream is that, you know, he lives in a world where he doesn't have the mentality that people can't do things. OK, final question, Ross, your website. What's the address? So we are at abilitycenter.org and you can find all our information about our programs and membership services there. And, uh, and certainly we, uh, we look forward to, to hearing from individuals and, and seeing how we can help um, with their accessibility needs.